Ladies and gentlemen, this song can mean only one thing. It's time for another awesome episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast. My name is Jumping Jay, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Tommy the Brain Fierro. Tommy, <laughs> welcome to today's show. How are you doing? All right, man. Tommy the Brain Fierro. I love it. Well, it's fitting for today's episode, man. We got a great topic, but I know you've had one heck of a busy week already, and you're heading in to an amazing lineup this weekend. Can you just take two seconds and fill in our listeners on what is happening in the world of 80s wrestling? So uh, this past Monday, we had a virtual signing with Ken Patera, and uh, we announced our summer slash fall lineup until the end of October. Uh, we added tons of virtual signings on 80swrestlingcon.com. You can go on there and check them all out. I'm sure we'll mention some of them later. Um, so we did that Monday. And then tomorrow, Friday, uh, at the Wrestling Collector in Stockholm, New Jersey, on Route 23, our store, we have appearances all weekend. So tomorrow we have Eugene, former WWE star. On Saturday, we have early 80s WWF women wrestler Princess Victoria uh, making an extremely rare appearance. And anyone out there, and I know there's a lot because I do you know, autograph sessions for a living now. The encyclopedias are extremely popular. The WWF encyclopedia is eating them signed. A lot of collectors do that, and she is in the encyclopedia. So if you live in the New Jersey area, it's a great opportunity to get an extremely rare uh, autograph from Princess Victoria Saturday at the Wrestling Collector. And then Sunday at the Wrestling Collector, we're going to have former WWF Tag Team Champions, Axe and Smash Demolition, along with Randy Hogan, former WCW Enhancement Talent, They'll all be appearing this weekend at the Wrestling Collector. Again, it's on Route 23 in Stockholm, New Jersey. Again, it's Friday, tomorrow, Eugene, be there from 5 to 7. On Saturday, Princess Victoria will be there from 11 to 2. Sunday, Demolition and Randy Hogan will be there from 12 to 2. And if that's not enough, Jay, those three days in a row, next Monday, this coming Monday, we have another virtual signing with not only one, but two guests. It'll be uh, former WWE stars Eric Rowan and Darren Young uh, this Monday. So, yeah, man, it's a crazy uh, couple days coming up for me. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for the people that live in the area of the Wrestling Collector store. You are bringing top-level talent right to their doorstep. And so if you live in that area, don't miss out on seeing these people in person. And if you're like me and you don't live in the area, hang tight till Monday, and Tommy's bringing two superstars virtually to us into our own living room. You've got to be just going crazy with all the details to make all these things happen. But I know the fans appreciate it, Tommy. It's a lot of hard work, but we know what you're doing behind the scenes, and we appreciate it very much. Thanks, man. Speaking of people behind the scenes to make things happen. Today, we got a great topic. We're talking about the greatest wrestling managers of the 1980s. And the job of a manager, you're hustling. It takes talent. You're doing everything from working on the mic, firing up a crowd, distracting refs, interfering on your wrestler's behalf. You have to know what 
able to do that job well. And we were spoiled in the 80s, Tommy. We had some of the best to ever do it in the wrestling business. During that era, we grew up watching about our favorites, break down the greatest managers of the golden era of wrestling. And before we jump into it, Tommy, I just want to ask you, in your opinion, if you were going to craft a job description, a wrestling pro, a pro wrestling manager, what would you ta- say it takes to be a wrestling manager? Well, first off, man, uh, that's a huge part of what's missing in today's modern day wrestling in 2021 is the art form of a manager. And I, I know that, you know, they have MVP there now. And you know he, he's he's great in his role, uh, but in general, you know those colorful characters, those larger than life characters that did the talking for the bad guys and 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 helped draw money and got people into the arenas. You know that art form is sorely missed, in my opinion, in, in today's wrestling. You know back then, you know the the role of a manager in the '80s was such a huge, huge, huge factor. And, you know, advancing storylines and, and telling storylines and getting people in the building. You look back in the 80s, you had Bobby the Brain Heaton, who I'm, I'm sure that you're going to agree with me and probably the majority of uh, our listeners today will agree as well. You know, probably the greatest wrestling manager of all time. And if you look back on the history of professional wrestling and all the major storylines that took place in the 80s, I mean, he is intertwined with a ton of them, you know, from... You know, Andre the Giant, you know, you know, turning on Hulk Hogan and challenging him for the world title at, at WrestleMania three. You know, Bobby Heenan was right in the middle of that, setting that all up. And back then, you know, guys that weren't the greatest talkers in the world, because obviously not everyone is a, a great talker, you know, they, they would put him with a Bobby the Brain Heenan, or they would put him with the Mouth of the South Jimmy Hart, or they would put him with a Doctor of Style Slick. Or they would put him with Classy Freddie Blassie or these other, you know, managers to do the talking for them because the heat was on the managers and the manager wrestling, uh, the the manager, you know, managing the wrestler, you know, put heat on them. You know, Heenan did it time and time again from Big John Studd to King Kong Bundy to Hercules to Ravishing Rick Rude. You can, you know, question some of these guys didn't need a manager like a Rick Rude or a Honky Tonk Man with Jimmy Hart, but they added to their presentation they added to their you know their character so i mean i can't stress enough how important uh, a manager is and i'm sure that's what we're gonna be talking about throughout this episode here today i agree tommy and like you said the art form of an effective manager is something that we don't have in today's wrestling scene but we definitely had it in the golden era. So I think the next thing we need to do is we just need to start throwing out some names uh, and start giving some opinions on some people. And so what I want to start with, Tommy, is I'm going to start with one that you could argue was not a manager in the traditional sense. It was someone who pioneered the role of what I would call more of a valet in wrestling. I'm talking about the lovely Miss Elizabeth and her involvement in the macho man Randy Savage's career. Tommy, where does Miss Elizabeth land in your landscape of managers? 
Oh, high on high on the top of the list. I mean, she herself was a larger than life character uh, in the most important era of professional wrestling. You know, she was such a huge part of Randy Savage, uh, Randy Savage's presentation. Uh, she was such a huge part in that whole storyline of Hulk Hogan and and uh, and Randy Savage, and she did such a phenomenal job. If you go back and watch that stuff, her facial expressions and and how she acted when Macho Man would yell or when she you know put that you know that frightened face on or that concerned look on her face, man, she was fantastic. Go back and watch some of her stuff and just watch her facials. Her facials alone, I mean, she she was fantastic in her role. Absolutely fantastic. How about you, Joe? What do you think? Well, what I loved most about the Miss Elizabeth character is that she was a amazing contrast to the Randy Savage character. It was a definitely like a Beauty and the Beast type scenario. You had Randy who was, you know, the last name Savage fit him perfectly because he was, he was kind of an animal in and outside of the ring, you know, very uh, full of machismo. He was very intense, very uh, angry, very over the top. And then you had sweet, quiet Elizabeth. And so the two extremes of their presentation complemented each other and helped make that package what it was and so rememberable. And as talented as Randy Savage is, as much as I love him, I would put him up as one of the top performers of all time. As great as he was, the Miss Elizabeth character helped get him to the level where he ended up getting to. And so I think without Miss Elizabeth, Randy Savage still would have had an amazing career, but it wouldn't have been the package that we all remember. It wouldn't have been the emotional investment that we all had in Randy Savage if it wasn't for Miss Elizabeth. And so I think when you talk managers in this era, you have to mention her name as one of the top. Yeah, man, I, I agree with you. I, I, I definitely agree with you. You know, Savage would have obviously still been iconic. There's no question about it. One of the greatest to ever do it. But she, she definitely added a lot to his presentation. No, no question about it. You know, as long as we're talking about lady managers, I want to throw out another name, somebody who had a tremendous impact in the business of pro wrestling, first as a performer, and then later on as a manager, Sensational Sherry. When I say that name, Tommy, what type of things pop into your head? Uh, She was awesome, man. She was fantastic from, you know, her being with, you know, I, I loved her as Sensational Queen Sherry when she was with Savage. That was that was awesome. Uh, she was great with Ted DiBiase. She was great with Shawn Michaels. I mean, she was fantastic uh, as as a character, as a performer. She is someone that I think, even though you know everyone knows that she was really good, I think that she's someone that is grossly underrated. Uh, believe it or not, I know it sounds weird saying that, but I, I think that she just contributed so much to that era. And I think that she was such a over the top colorful character. I, I don't think you hear her name enough when you, when you talk about, you know, the greatest wrestling managers of all time, you obviously you'll hear Heenan, you'll hear, you know, you'll hear Jimmy Hart, you'll hear Captain Lou Albano, but I mean, Sherry is right out there at the top as well, man. She was awesome. Really, really awesome. She was awesome. And what I loved about her character was she was somebody that you loved to hate as you were watching the storylines unfold. She had that shrill voice. She would scream. And then she was not afraid to take bumps, to put the body on the line for the sake of a storyline. 
And the interesting thing, when I was watching this as a young boy, what I realized early on is if Miss Elizabeth took a bump, the crowd was outraged. They, they hated it. When a wrestler would give Sherry a bump, the crowd would explode. They loved to see it. And so it was just a real interesting difference in their two styles and the crowd reaction. But from a managerial standpoint, she, like you said, she was amazing with HBK, amazing with Randy Savage, Honky Tonk Man, DiBiase. She managed Harlem Heat and WCW, Booker T. So like her career as a manager is legendary on its own. And then you, you take into account that she was an in-ring before, performer before that. She was the total package. Absolutely. Yeah, man, definitely. So, yeah, I mean, it's fitting that you start off with those two because, though, you know, you're thinking of the greatest managers of all time. And, again, we're saying Heenan, we're saying Jimmy Hart, we're saying Captain Lou. We're going down with Jim Cornette, obviously. But, you know, someone might not put a Sherry or a Elizabeth in their top five when you're thinking of the greatest, you know, managers of all time. But you got to throw those you got to throw those ladies up there because they were huge parts of, of the presentation and the product for the performers back then. No, no question. No question about it. Um, and the next one I'll throw out there, like you said, we're working towards what we would consider the, the top managers during that era. And we have those names firmly in our memory. We know who they are. But when, when we started talking about doing this episode, one of the names that popped in my head was a guy that we had on this very show just, I think, two weeks ago. Uh, the legendary J.J. Dillon, who is best known for being the manager of the legendary Four Horsemen. Of course, Ric Flair, the Four Horsemen. J.J. Dillon had an amazing managerial career, especially during this time period. He managed people in the NWA, WCW, and we just had him on the show. So it was real interesting to hear his take on his involvement in the Four Horsemen. But I think if we're talking managers, we got to bring up the name J.J. Dillon. Absolutely, man. Uh, he, I mean, you talk about, you know, I'm, I'm sure you have these guys on your list too, but a lot of people also forget about, and, and probably we do too, because, you know, we, we make uh, we make it known that both me and Jay, we grew up as WWF fans as kids. So when you're, you're talking about the greatest managers of, of the 80s or of all time, you know, you're, you know, someone like, if you're a WWE fan, WWF fan, sorry, you're not thinking of a, a you know, a J.J. Dillon, a Jim Cornette, a Paul Ellering, you know, the, these names uh, from down there, they were a, a huge part of uh, Paul Jones. I mean, you, you know, there's a lot of managers down there and uh, NWA from the 80s as well that was, you know, really, really uh, big names in their own right. And obviously J.J. Dillon's right at the top of the list. All right, the next guy I want to get your input on is somebody who played a huge role in the rock and wrestling connection and bringing MTV and the WWF together, uh, perhaps on a managerial side, best known for managing the ultra-talented tag team, your number one tag team as a child, the British Bulldogs. I'm talking about Captain Lou Albano. What are your thoughts, Tommy? Oh, man, if you talk about 80s wrestling and you talk about those colorful characters, those larger-than-life characters, absolutely, uh, Captain Lou Albano is, is right up there on the top of the list. I mean, 
he was a star outside of wrestling as well. You know, he was in the, the movie Wise Guys that was starring Danny DeVito. You know, he played Mario. Uh, he, you know, he was in so many different things. He was on TV shows like Hollywood Squares. I remember seeing him as a kid on Hollywood Squares. I remember, uh, you know, seeing him in music videos. Girls Just Want to Have Fun with Cindy Lauper. Uh, the Goonies. I mean, he was a uh, he was a bona fide household name, Captain Lou Albano. So you know, when you're talking about you know, greatest managers of, of ever, you know, obviously he has to be right at the top of the list. Uh, I remember the movie Body Slams he was in. I mean, he he was a big part of that as well. Uh, television stuff, like you said, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling he was on. I remember he was on an episode of Miami Vice. Uh, so yeah, there was a lot of stuff that he was a part of and, uh, Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling. So, you know, he, he had the LJN, he had, you know, he had t-shirts. So yeah, man, if you're talking about the history of professional wrestling and, and what managers brought to the table, yeah, it, it's hard to question that Captain Lou is not right at the top of the list with, uh, everyone else. And like you said, uh, he managed a ton of uh, talent from, you know, the U.S. Express to, you know, the British Bulldogs, uh, you know, tons and tons and tons of talent. And uh, he's just, he, he, in my opinion, he's got to be one of the biggest name managers ever. What, what's your thoughts on uh, the captain? What I love about the captain, and to be honest, this is true for a lot of the wrestling managers of this time period, is they're larger-than-life characters in and of themselves. Captain Lou was an over-the-top character from the way he presented himself, his look, the way he talked on the mic. You might worry that a guy like Captain Lou could overshadow the wrestler he's supposed to be representing because he is such a, a cartoon character himself. But in the 80s, that was the recipe for success. That worked. And so when you can take somebody in a managerial role like a Captain Lou and you can have his own action figure, plug him into the cartoons, get him in music videos, help him be one of the people to bridge wrestling and entertainment back in the 80s. Like, that's what I love about a Captain Lou, is you wouldn't think that a wrestling manager is going to be the character that does those things. But that's the kind of guy he was. That's the kind of manager he was. I just loved everything about it. Yeah. To be honest, when we, when we talk about JN figures, he's one of my favorites. I, I love the way his figure came out. Yeah, I was going to say, Jay, I, I was going to make mention too, is that you know, he, he played a big role, a, a huge role in the whole rock and wrestling era, uh, first starting out, which obviously led to the first WrestleMania. Uh, so he, he's crucial as far as importance goes uh, with managers because, you know, that if it wasn't for the popularity of of the Hulk, the rock and wrestling uh, connection with MTV leading into the first WrestleMania, I don't know if the industry would be as hot as it is right now if that first WrestleMania didn't pan out the way it did. And, and, and Lou had a big part in that. And also I want to make mention real quick as well before we move on to the next manager is that the, 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 the career he had spanned it a long time, Jay. I mean, he was even managing – in the WWF back in 94 when he, when he was mentioned the head shrinkers with, with Alpha. So, I mean, that's a long stretch 
to, uh, you know, obviously he left the, the WWF uh, before that. He, you know, he went to the, the UWF and he had his own hotline that he was doing, but he returned to WWF in 95 to, to manage the head shrinkers. But man, what a, what a long legacy he left behind. And that speaks to his talent. That speaks to Vince McMahon having faith that a Captain Lou could come back even in the mid-90s and still add something to the product. And that speaks to why he's on this list. I'll ask this question, but I already know your answer. In the, in the realm of professional wrestling, do you think Captain Lou is underrated or properly rated? I, I, would say un, I would say underrated. Because I think that obviously they know he was one of the big managers from back then, uh, but you know again I, I don't know when you're saying the manager you say Bobby Heenan you, Bobby Heenan obviously comes first in my head when when I'm saying managers but they you go you know Jimmy Hart uh, Mr Fuji so I mean I'm sure lose in that top but I, I still think he's underrated because I, I think that a lot of people don't realize how crucial of a part he played in that whole rock and wrestling connection with Cindy Lauper making WWF go mainstream and pop culture at that time. I, I think that for that reason alone, he's underrated because I think that he was a huge part of that. And I think that a lot of people might not realize that. What, what do you think about that? I 100% agree. I think in today's culture, highly underrated. I don't think his name gets brought up in conversations as much as it deserves to. I think in the early 80s, when he was on MTV, when he was on WWF television, he properly rated. People probably recognized his role and all that. But this many years removed, I just don't hear his name as often as I think we should for the contributions that he made to the business. So I would agree with you. I think right I'll now, Captain Lou, underrated. I'll tell you a funny story real quick before we move on to the next guest. Uh, back in the day, when I was running independent wrestling shows, ISPW, we were doing an angle with Off of the Wild Samoans WXW promotion uh, in Pennsylvania, where we would invade each other's promotions and do, do you know, I was a, a heel manager over there uh, when we went over there with my guys. And there was one show when uh, it was supposed to be my guys against their guys. And I was managing my guy. I forgot who the guys were. That's why I can't, what their names were. I was managing my guys and, and uh, Captain Lou Albano was managing the other team. And I was so excited all day long because I was, you know, going to be working against Captain Lou Albano. And that, you know, the, the whole working plan was he was going to, you know, punch me and I was a bump for him at the end. I was so excited all day long uh, to do this. And I, I remember it was at a hotel. It was a TV taping for they had lo- they had local, uh, a local TV show out in Allentown. So all day long, I'm looking forward to, you know, working with Capitolo Abano and, and bumping for him because obviously I grew up a huge fan of his, you know. So, uh, you know, as the day goes by, you know, he's he's drinking uh, in, in, the, in the locker room to the point where, you know, he's a little out of control and uh, he got sent home. He oh, got no. sent home before the show started and I never got my opportunity to uh, the work against Captain Lou Albano. However, I will say the cool thing is I did have Lou uh, on one of my uh, conventions back in the day. I did a tribute to WrestleMania one convention 
the day before WrestleMania 20, uh, and I had Lou on that. So at least I could say I, I used Lou Albano on his show in the past, but it would have been cool to get bumped by him. It it would have been cool to get bumped by him, but it's cool that you have uh, personal run-ins with him, even if it wasn't inside the squared circle or, or out of the apron. But very cool, man. I wonder, so in a situation like that, because uh, I'm sure he's advertised for that show, what does the PA announcer say to the crowd to explain his absence, or do they just not even mention it? They just they didn't mention it. They just keep on rolling. And we're going to keep on rolling here, Tommy, because there's lots of names to go through, big names coming up. As we're going through our list here, I'm realizing a lot of the best managers were the ultra heel managers. He, they were paired with the villains, the bad guys, the people you love to hate, people you booed against. And one of the best heel managers that I remember watching as a child is Mr. Fuji. He's always teamed with the big, bad villain team, whether it was Demolition during their heel run, whether it was uh, Warlord and Barbarian during their heel run. Mr. Fuji was always teamed with the bad guys, and he was always underhand, sneaky with the cane, with the salt in the eyes. What are your thoughts on Master Fuji? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, from my uh, from Fuji Vice with... Don Morocco yeah. to uh, you know demolition. What a what a crucial part he played with them. You know, uh, I mean, God, he was he again. He was in Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling cartoon. Uh, he he's pop culture as well. The LJN figure. You know, he was during that time frame where it seems, in my opinion, because I I, I the majority of my signings are with these '80s legends they still stand the test of time. They're such larger than life characters. And, you know, you can't say, you know, this was 30 years ago, 35 years ago. You, you can't say 35 years from now that people are going to remember, no disrespect, but I, I think MVP is phenomenal. I'm only, I'm only using him as an example because he's currently in that role as, as a manager in 2021. I, I don't know if they're going to 30 years from now, look at him and say, man, remember, Number MVP, man, how great was he? And he is great, obviously. I don't mean it in a in a bad way at all, but they were just such all larger than life, colorful characters back then. And it's nothing against today's generation of anyone that's doing it, but they were like, I don't want to say cartoon characters, but they he he was a cartoon character in Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. They were just, they were just such colorful characters. And just the way they were portrayed, the way they're presented to the audience, uh, what they wore as far as their outfits go. I mean, anyway, if you ask any wrestling fan, what did Mr. Fuji wear? Uh, and they're going to tell you what he wore. He wore a, a black suit with a, a black hat and a bow tie. Like, if you ask someone 30 years from now what MVP wore, what are they going to say? Like, I don't, and again, I don't mean it in a bad way. You know what I'm saying, right? Absolutely. I'm tracking with you. You're absolutely right. So, yeah, man, I, I think that he's, he's phenomenal, you know? What I loved about Mr. Fuji was, man, like you said, the, the outfit that he wore, the black tuxedo, the hat, the cane, when he was with Demolition and Powers of Pain, he would have the face paint on. He looked like he could be a James Bond villain or a Batman villain. Like, he looked like he was a villain that could cross over in other areas. 
I loved how sneaky he was. I loved that he abandoned demolition and went to powers of pain. He made a turn to another team. I just, his package was, was phenomenal. And he's another one whose managerial career lasted longer than I think most people remember. He, he first started managing. He had a great career as a wrestler before that, which helped. But his managerial career started in 85, and he was representing Yokozuna in 96 before he retired. So he had an 11-year span as a manager and was involved with some amazing wrestlers along the way and some amazing angles, would even get in and wrestle some, some as a manager. And so just a phenomenal career as a manager. And just one of those guys that you remember from your childhood watching TV, he was a fixture. He was one of the managers that, that you would uh, remember. Absolutely. Also, I want to make mention too. you just said sometimes he would get in there and wrestle that back then in the eighties, that was always a attraction when the manager got in to the ring and wrestled. You would see it with Bobby Heenan. Sometimes he would wrestle or Mr. Fuji. Sometimes he'd wrestle. It was always an attraction. It always meant something when a manager got in there and wrestled. Like I can remember, you know, him being in tuxedo matches, Mr. Fuji. And that was a selling point of a house show back then, or when it was Hulk Hogan and mean Gene Oakland uh, against Mr. Fuji and, and George Stale. I mean, you look back on some of these moments, like, uh, you know, if Bobby Heenan lost his match, he had to put on a weasel suit. And it, it was stuff like that. When the wrestler, uh, the managers wrestled back then in the eighties, it was an attraction. It meant something. So that just also goes to show their drawing power. Um, you put that on a marquee back in 1987 that it was going to be, you know, you know, Andre the Giant and Bobby Heenan and a match against Hulk Hogan and Junkyard Dog. I'm just using these names as an example. People were excited for that. People wanted to see Bobby Heenan get his ass kicked. People wanted to see Mr. Fuji get his ass kicked. People wanted to see Jimmy Hart get their ass kicked. So, yeah, man, I, I think that's another thing that uh, that's missing is, is just that, I think I think it's all missing because it's such a fantastic formula that there's no question that they can they can use it again. I don't understand why they don't go back to not only 80s managers, but why they don't go back to a lot of the stuff that made them so successful to begin with. And we talked about this on past episodes, whether it be the lost art form of an 80s manager, you know, the lost art form of having a talk show segment to progress storylines and get people over. I'm not talking about being in the middle of the ring with a microphone. I'm talking about building sets off to the side of the arena like they did back in the day with Piper's Pit, like the flower shop, like the barber shop, like the funeral parlor. All that stuff was so cool back then from the 80s enhancement talent that would make, and 90s, that make the wrestlers look larger than life. You know, back back then, you know, you'd have to, you know, pay money to go to the arenas to see, you know, Superstar A collide with Superstar B. You don't have to do that now because they give away all these marquee matches on TV for free, you know, almost every day of the week now. And with there not really being any direct competition with WCW red hot against them on the same night at the same time, you really don't need to give away these big marquee matches. I I would love for them to I know I'm getting I'm getting ahead of myself. We're talking about probably what would be a different episode, but bring back like the enhancement talent to make you know these these wrestlers seem larger than life. And there's just so many aspects missing 
from the most crucial time period in wrestling. And uh, I don't understand why they don't capitalize on it, but I'm babbling now. Hopefully what I said made sense. It made perfect sense, Tommy. And I will agree with you that if you had a manager who you could write into a wrestling match and have it mean something, that's just one more piece of a puzzle that the, that the writers, that Vince McMahon uh, get to play with. Same as if you brought back the barber shop or something like the funeral parlor. It's just one more segment, one more piece that you have to play with that helps keep your product fresh and moving in whatever direction you want. And so I agree. If you had somebody like a Mr. Fuji that you could have managing a team, but then all of a sudden the feud gets to a point where he's got a step between the ropes and the fans want to see it, that's a win for the company. If you can put a name on the marquee that's not normally up there and it draws people to your show, that's a win. And so I agree that today's product could borrow some of the tactics from back in the 80s and probably find some success with them. Now, and just the to pick on Mr. Fuji real quick, let's talk about how crucial of a role he played managing Yokozuna. I know we talked about it briefly that, you know, he, his career spent a long time, but I mean, Yokozuna was the top heel in the company in 93, uh, well, 92, 93, 94, that area, that era. Uh, he was such a major part of Yokozuna's presentation. So not only was he a, a, a gigantic and huge star in the 80s, but he was in the 90s as well because, I mean, Yoko was the top heel for the, that, those few years, and, and Fuji was his manager, you know? He played a huge role in Yokozuna's success. I mean, obviously, there's the connection uh, with Mr. Fuji being Japanese that helps create some legitimacy about this sumo wrestler character that Yokozuna is portraying. And so you have legitimacy there. He's somebody who can help Yokozuna on the road, help him behind the scenes, which we've heard stories that he did often, but inside the ring. Like it was a, it was a perfect marriage between a manager and a wrestler. And the way that he was able to interfere, throw salt in people's eyes, like he played a key role in some of Yokozuna's biggest matches. And that's towards the end of Fuji's career. That's when yeah. he was getting closer to retirement. So the fact that he was able to contribute as much as he did is amazing. And also, he he also managed uh, Crush in, in in '93 as well, and, and Crush when he turned on Randy Savage, that was a you know hot feud for the company at that time. Randy Savage and Crush, and, and he was with Crush as well. So yeah, man, Fuji contributed a lot to that product, a lot. He absolutely did. And then the next manager who contributed so much to the world of professional wrestling in the '70s, '80s, '90s, and he's still making appearances and doing things uh, at fan fest and different things like that. The mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, one of my all time favorite, favorite managers. I would put him in probably my top three of all time. Tommy, what do you think about Mr. Hart? I mean, he's gotta be, if you, you know, if you run down the the list of of talent that he's managed throughout his career and and I'm just going to, rattle some of these names off the top of my head just from from thinking about it. You know, he, he managed, obviously, Hulk Hogan, you know, the Hart Foundation, uh, Ted DiBiase and IRS as Money, Inc., uh, Earthquake, Typhoon, the Nasty Boys, the Honky Tonk Man, Dino Bravo. I mean, there was a whole list. Greg Valentine, there was a whole list of talent that, that – uh, the Mountie, so a whole list of talent that Jimmy Hart worked with. 
And again, you're talking about these colorful characters that scream 80s wrestling. Uh, he was right in the, the forefront of one of those characters. Um, he was a huge, huge contributor in the success of the WWF during that time frame from, you know, 85 on. Uh, 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 such a colorful character, such a, a larger-than-life character. And, you know, that, that, that megaphone, who can forget that megaphone sitting as a kid at ringside or sitting in the arena and just hearing this little skinny guy screaming in a microphone, you want to wring his neck. And I'm sure everyone around the world wanted to wring his neck as well, and that's why it works so well. And, you know, when you had him in situations where he would have to get in the ring as well, people really got excited for that because this is a little skinny, wimpy guy. Of course, fans wanted to see him get his ass kicked because he is such a little guy and he's such an annoying little manager. Uh, he, he was just fantastic. He is one of those guys who is, you could not, if you sat down to try to create a wrestling manager from scratch, you could not do any better than his presentation with those airbrushed jackets, that megaphone, that voice, that look, those glasses, like he's rememberable. You're not going to forget Jimmy Hart. And then when you look at, like you mentioned, the people that he managed, the career that he had, the fact that he played a key role in one of the, the biggest wrestling angles of all time involving Andy Kaufman and Jerry the King Lawler down in Memphis. That thing made national news uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. And then when he comes to the World Wrestling Federation and he's paired with everybody you said, Greg the Hammer, the Honky Tonk Man, the Heart Foundation, the Nasty Boys, you named a bunch of top tier wrestlers. In and there's a lot. And there's a lot. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. There's a lot we didn't yeah. uh, and, and mention either. Like uh, I remember, he managed the Funk Brothers. He managed Adorable Adrian Adonis. He managed the the Glamour Girls. I mean, there's a ton of talent we're not even mentioning mentioning either. You know. Right. The natural disasters. Uh, you could probably have a whole episode just on Jimmy Hart's career because he did so much. And then you talk about behind the scenes. He was key in writing some of the most memorable songs that we've heard Absolutely. for theme music. So like just an ultra talented guy, but on a managerial side, just a tremendous heel manager, in my opinion. I know he had some baby face runs as well, but as a heel manager, it's tough to top a Jimmy Hart. Absolutely. And I want to make mention real quick about, you said the theme songs uh, he, that he worked on behind the scenes, which obviously uh, we had a, a complete episode dedicated to theme songs uh, on 80s Wrestling, the podcast. And if you haven't listened to that yet, definitely go out of your way to go back and, and listen to that episode. That was one of my, still to this day, one of my favorite episodes. But if you look at, uh, his contributions to the business, it's its well, well, well past him just being a performer. He contributed so much as far as the music goes. And, and then in the 80s, you know, theme music was such a major, major part of a wrestler's presentation and how we still remember them to this day. And he did the theme song for Honky Tuck Man, Jimmy Snooker, Brutus Beefcake, The Rockers, The Heart Foundation, you know, the Rougeau brothers, Dusty Rhodes, the Legion of Doom, the Nasty Boys, Ted DiBiase, the Mountie, Hulk Hogan, Sting, 
I mean, you go on and on and on uh, of the contributions of music that he brought to not only WWF, but uh, WCW as well. And uh, it, it, including Shawn Michaels' uh, Sexy Boy entrance as well. Just an uber-talented guy. And if you think about, you could call it luck, you could call it fate, but the fact that a guy like Jimmy Hart lands in the World Wrestling Federation at the time that he did, think of how different the product would have been. One, if we didn't have him as a manager. Two, if Shawn Michaels didn't have the Sexy Boy theme, if these theme songs that he composed were never part of the package... Like, it would have been a completely different landscape. And so you just got to, like, as a fan, you just have to be appreciative that Jimmy Hart came along at the time he did and was able to share those talents with us. Absolutely, man. All right, we're making our way through managers, and we're going through them fast and furious because there's so many. You could sit and you could have an episode on each one of these for sure. And I know the big one is still to come. We're saving him for close to the end. But there's a few others that we can mention before we land there. One of them that was probably maybe more 70s than 80s, but he was finishing up in the 80s because I have his LJN figure, another heel manager who was tremendous at drawing heat and then was very good at transferring that heat from him onto the wrestlers he managed. And he managed some big names, Adrian Adonis, Jesse Ventura, Nikolai Volkov. The Iron Sheik. I'm talking about classy Freddie Blassie. And he, one of his catchphrases is how I would refer to you, Jay. You're a pencil neck geek. Hey, I'm okay with that. That's, that's a badge <laughs> of honor, said, uh, if it's said from Freddie Blassie. Said from Tommy the Brain Fiero, I don't know. It might be a, might be a dig on me, but I'm good with it either way. <laughs> yeah, he he, he was uh, again. Uh, he was a fantastic, colorful character. Uh, you know, he he was such a huge part of wrestling well before he ever became a manager. He was you know a huge wrestler, huge name wrestler. You know, back in the day. And you know, if you're a fan from that era of the '80s, you know you you'll remember him mostly as a as a as a as a manager because uh, he retired from wrestling in the mid-70s. But uh, he's managed tons of talent uh, throughout his career, including, obviously, Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov, uh, Georgie Animal Stale. Believe it or not, he managed Mr. Fuji. Freddie Vazzi managed Mr. Fuji back in the day in the, in the 70s. You know, he's managed Kamala. He managed Hercules. He even managed Hulk Hogan uh, when Hulk Hogan was a heel when he was first coming in. So, I mean, Freddie Blassie brings a lot to the table. And, uh, again, that LGN figure, who can ever forget that Freddie Blassie figure? And uh, he, was, he was great. He was, he was great. What, what are, what's your favorite Freddie Blassie memory, uh, Jay? Well, I'll tell you this. When, uh, when I was a young man, I had this book. Uh, and I wish I remembered the title of this book. But it was a wrestling book. It might have been The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly of Professional Wrestling. But it was this paperback book, and I would take it up to the lake with us in the summer, and I would sit by the lake, and I would read this book. And there was a chapter in there about how classy Freddie Blassie used to sharpen his teeth uh, into spikes. He used to file them down when he wrestled in Japan 
into he would file his teeth to a point so that he could draw blood from his opponents by biting their foreheads and there is a black and white picture in this book of him biting another guy's forehead with blood running down and as a young man i mean i never saw anything like that on the wwf saturday morning show that i would watch and so to read that and to see that picture man that's stuck in my mind i'll tell you what too you talk about longevity he, he, his career, Jay, expended four decades with the WWF. He made appearances as late as uh, 2003, believe it or not. I, I want to go back to some. I'm, 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 I just pulled him up while you were talking. I got to go back and see this. He was his final appearance with the WWF was May 12th, uh, 2003, on a Monday Night Raw. It was actually three weeks before his death. The segment included him, his wife, and Raw GM at the time, Eric Bischoff, who was about to allow three-minute warning to attack him until Stone Cold Steve Austin and the Dudleys stepped in. His final words on WWF television were, Devon, get the table, to a monstrous applause, it says. <laughs> I have to go back and watch that, man. I, I, I don't remember that. But now that we're doing this episode today on, on managers and, and, and talking about Freddie Blassie, I want to go back and watch that, man. That sounds really, really cool. I, I definitely want to see that. And also, he was a judge, and I don't remember this either, and I have to go back and watch this. He was a judge in the 2000 Royal Rumble, Miss Rumble uh, swimsuit contest. I can only imagine him being at ringside wow. doing that. But I do remember, though, and I'm sure you do as well, how in high regards WWF uh, thought of him because he, he did a lot of the opening narrations for, for pay-per-views. And he did it for WrestleMania 15, I remember. And this is opening monologues. Freddie Blasky was always a part of it. So, you know, they, they obviously the company held him in extremely high regards. And anyone that, that, that wants to, to learn more about Freddie Blasky that is listening and might not have the opportunity of, of that's younger and didn't see much of his stuff. His book is still available like on eBay or Amazon. Listen, you pencil neck geeks. And it's, it's really, really good. Uh, and the, the other interesting yep. fact that I'm just, that I'm reading here in front of me is we're looking, looking some stuff up about him. Now everybody knows that you can kind of have a hot and cold relationship with the world wrestling federation. Some people fall out of Vince's good graces they can get invited back later on and men fences. Some people go away and you never hear from them again, but it says here that because of his close relationship with Vince McMahon senior, Freddie Blassie actually remained on the WWF payroll until the day he died. So like you said, they must've held him in very high regards. Uh, he did voiceovers, he made appearances and they kept him on the payroll until he passed away. So that just speaks to probably the kind of man Freddie Blassie was behind the scenes that he had such a close relationship with Vince McMahon and the family. Absolutely. Well, we only have a few minutes left uh, in the episode, so we have to get to the one name. I know we missed a bunch, Tommy. I apologize. Oh man, we we missed. We we got we got to make mention of we got to make mention of some more names. We can't just do one or two more. I mean, even if we only spend a minute or so on them, uh, we're going to catch a lot of heat if we don't uh, uh, mention a lot of guys. So. I'll rattle off some names uh, before you get yours. Uh, Jim Cornette. We we got to talk about Jim Cornette. Uh, I know that we're you know Team WWF, but he also was a big part of the WWF. He talked about uh, Mr. Fuji managing Yokozuna. So did Jim Cornette. 
and uh, talk about a, a longevity a career. I mean, his 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 lasted decades as well. Cornette has to be brought up as one of the the top managers ever. I would say not only is he one of the top managers of all time, but he's probably one of the top wrestling minds of all time. When you talk about his feel for the business and his understanding of what works and doesn't work and his ideas for angles and his work uh, with Smoky Mountain, his work in uh, TNA, he did uh, a lot with the Midnight Express, WCW, NWA. I mean, he's got an impressive resume and just a wealth of knowledge about the business. And from a wrestling manager standpoint, he again is one of those guys. You picture him with the tennis racket, you picture him with the blazer on. So the big glasses. And so he's one of those guys that sticks in your mind. He was a great, great manager. Absolutely. And some other names that if we, we, we don't have the opportunity to spend that much time on, I I just want to make mention of Uh, Sheik Adnan Al Casey. Uh, he he was you know mostly in the AWA, but he had a great run in WWF as well as as the Hill manager for Sergeant Slaughter when Sergeant Slaughter uh, turned on America. I, he definitely has to be made mention of. He he was a significant part of that angle. Absolutely, just keep naming names, Tommy. There's so many people we could mention. I don't know if you want to go back and forth with some names or if we just want to. Yeah, I can I can I can rattle some off and then we'll get rattle some off, man. You know, there was the Adnan Al Casey I just made mention of. Arnold Skolin, uh in the early, you know, 80s, he was with Bob Backlund, and, 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 and he, he, he did a lot of stuff as a ringside manager as well. Uh, Baby Doll from NWA, got to make mention of her. Um, obviously, Bobby Heenan we're going to get into. Brother Love was briefly a manager uh, in the WWF before he turned uh, to uh, – being the character that he was, but he also managed back in the GWF back in the day as well. Uh, so you got to mention him. You have to make mention of um, Dark Journey, talking about NWA, Jim Crockett Promotions. She was a part of that. Missy Hyatt, you got to make mention of. Uh, Dutch Mantel, not only was he a, a fantastic performer, but he was also a manager as well throughout that time frame. Um, Frenchie Martin, we didn't make mention of Frenchie Martin. USA is not okay. Talk about NWA managers, Gary Hart, uh, the genius Lanny Popo, even though he was a wrestler, uh, when he was a manager uh, for Mr. Perfect, that was a fantastic character as well. Talk about managers. How can we not mention the Grand Wizard uh, that was in the WWF? He, there's so many guys that he managed. Harvey Whippleman, uh, we didn't make mention of. Um, just going down the list, there's just tons of guys, and, and obviously too many to get into. John Tolis, he had a brief run as the coach in the, in the WWF with Mr. Perfect. Um, Kim Chi, Kim Chi with uh, with Kamala. It was hey, I guess you could say he was a manager. Uh, Luna Bashan, even though it was you know more of the '90s than than '80s, you know she was a a great ringside uh, attraction as well. Uh, Miss uh, Linda, who managed Adrian Street in Mid-South Wrestling, got to make mention of her, of her as well. Sir Oliver Humperdinck, who was in the AWA, Florida, and uh, WCW, and also WWF with Bam Bam Bigelow. Paul Bearer, I know it's 90s, but we didn't mention Paul Bearer. Paulie Dangerously, we didn't make mention of Paulie Dangerously. I don't know if he was on your list to, uh, to talk about Precious. 
who managed Jimmy Garvin. I mean, I could just rattle off tons of names. Slick, we didn't even get into Slick yet. I'm not sure if he's on that. Sapphire, who was with Dusty Rhodes. Sunshine, who uh, was in World Class Championship Wrestling. Uh, Theodore Long, uh, more of the early 90s in, in NWA. I mean, God, there's, there's a ton. There's so many names, Tommy, that we can't possibly get to them all, but you did an awesome job of rattling down a, a highly impressive list of managers. And before we get to our number one, let me just ask you, when it comes to that position, would you put Virgil as a manager or would you say he's more of a bodyguard character? I, I would put him in the role as a, as a manager because, again, he and, – and we talked about this on past episodes as well – he – doesn't get the credit he deserves. And we talked about that. We had Ted on the podcast, you know, a month or so back. And, and he doesn't get the credit, I believe, as far as the contributions he gave to the product as well. You know, you see so many memes running around with him sitting at a table by himself or people laugh at him for trying to, you know, hustle and make money selling his autograph and stuff like that. But back then, man, he, he was a crucial part in the Ted DiBiase presentation. You may mention earlier, Jay, at the top of the program about how Elizabeth played such an important role in Randy Savage's presentation. Uh, there's no question in my mind that, that Virgil did the same for Ted DiBiase. Absolutely. Now, just like the macho man, Ted DiBiase didn't need a manager to work the microphone for him. He was a great promo, but they needed somebody on the side that added to the character. And if you're the million dollar man, of course you're going to have a butler that follows you around and takes care of the menial tasks, the dirty work that you can't be bothered to get your hands dirty with. And so to pair that type of character with a Ted DiBiase, it was, it was a perfect package, perfect package. Of course, the million dollar man is going to have somebody to do his grunt work. Absolutely, man. Well, now it's time to talk about the hilariously funny the over-the-top, the outrageously biased, could be somewhat financially corrupt. There's only one guy who can be called the greatest manager of all time, and I think we're in agreement that that man's name is Bobby Heenan. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. He's one of my favorite performers ever, uh, not just as a manager, but as, as just an overall performer. I mean, we, we said in, in earlier how – it meant something when he would get in the ring and wrestle. I remember him being in, you know, matches with Ultimate Warrior and, you know, Coco Beware and other talent as well. Anytime that Bobby Heenan put on those trunks and got in the ring, it was an attraction. And talk about the list of people that he managed. Uh, he, he was such a major factor in so many aspects of some of the biggest angles in the history of wrestling. Uh, obviously, the top one being with when Andre the Giant turned on Hulk Hogan. I mean, he's uh, the Heenan family was was awesome, man. And, and there were so many people in that Heenan family, including Ken Patera, uh, Paul Arndorf, King Kong Bundy, Andre the Giant, the Brain Busters, Ravishing Rick Rude, Harley Race, the Islanders, Hercules, the Barbarian, Mr. Perfect. Uh, Red Rooster, I mean, the list goes on and on how many people he managed, which means all the different storylines and angles throughout the 80s intertwined with him and a lot of them, man. 
Uh, what, uh, my favorite angle ever, by the way, before we start talking, is we talked about this in the past, is when Orndorff turned on Hogan. That was my favorite angle ever because I remember being there as uh, watching it as a kid, just being shocked. And Heenan was behind that as well. So I mean, he, he's crucial, man, crucial. You know, when you have somebody who is as talented as Bobby Heenan, you have to develop a stable like the Heenan family because you can't have Bobby Heenan representing one wrestler and over and only being seen one time on your program. When you can create a stable with a Bobby the Brain Heenan as the overseer of that stable, it gives you so much more to work with. He can show up multiple times on your programming. He can be on the mic multiple times. He can do different things. That's how great Bobby Heenan was. When he's representing one wrestler, he might have to get into the ring and take a bump. The next time you see him, he might just be working the crowd and yelling at some lady in the front row. He was versatile. He understood the business. He could sell. He was no doubt uh, the best manager that wrestling has ever seen because he could do so much. And like you said, there would be times where he would get into the ring. And people loved to see him put on a pair of tights. One, because he didn't look like a wrestler. He looked ridiculous in the wrestling tights. And that's something that, as a fan, you appreciate it. And that was part of the package, is you didn't expect him to look like a wrestler. So when you actually saw him come out in tights, it was was a spectacle. It was something that you would pay to see. And then when you talk about the amazing names that he represented, that Heenan family that you just ran down, all of those are top-level performers, all of them, you know? And so that his name was associated with legendary wrestlers and that you still talk about Bobby Heenan and not just those legendary wrestlers speaks to how good he really was. And, and not only as a manager, Jay, just as he, he, him and Gorilla Monsoon were the greatest, in my opinion, color commentary team ever. So not only was he a manager, but I mean, how, how all the memories of him on primetime wrestling with Grilla Monsoon and them calling the action and just, you know, all the, the different catchphrases he had, like humanoids and, and ham and eggers. And it, it, he's just, if you, you talk about 80s wrestling, WWF, you can't think of it or you can't talk about it without mentioning Bobby the Brain Heenan. It's impossible. So for that reason alone, he has to be, in my opinion, considered the greatest wrestling manager of all time. You know, you raise an interesting point. If we were doing a show on the best commentaries in pro wrestling history, we'd be talking about Bobby the Brain Heenan on that list as well. He was so good at whatever he did that he became one of the top people to ever do it. Like you and said. You hear, yeah, and you hear wrestlers. Commentaries you, ever. And you hear wrestlers, they do interviews, Jay, from back, from back in that era. They always... They always say that Bobby Heenan was one of the best performers ever, not managers, performers, because uh, he, he could do it all, man. He, he was absolutely fantastic in everything that he did, and uh, he, he generated a lot of money for that company, and he, he helped, in my opinion, big time, raise the height and popularity of Hulk Hogan during that time frame because you, you need to have that hated villain for the fans to get behind that baby face to get, you know, their revenge. And, and Heenan was the perfect person for that role. And, and he fed uh, Hulk Hogan talent for years. And he was a thorn in Hulk Hogan's head for years. 
and uh, he's just uh, just absolutely fantastic. You know, we talk about how in over in order to have a truly over fan favorite baby face, you need an equally hated villain on the other side to make it work. And when you have somebody like Bobby the Brain Heenan and his Heenan family, what you can do is if Hogan beats one of those guys, Bobby Heenan can just bring out the next one. And so it created a stable of wrestlers for baby faces to have to get through. And in Bobby Heenan's mind, the way he portrayed it is you're never going to beat the Heenan family. You might beat one of my wrestlers. You might beat two of my wrestlers. But at the end of the day, some way, somehow, the Heenan family will come out on top. And so just an amazing way to book wrestling when you have that kind of manager that can do that kind of work to not only get his own self over, get his own stable wrestlers over, but then to ultimately get the baby face over, tremendous. Yeah, man. And, and, and I'm also really happy to say that I had an opportunity twice to have Bobby Heenan at my shows. I had him on two conventions uh, back in the day. So uh, it's really cool to say that I had him on uh, my shows in the past. I had Jimmy Hart on, uh, on a convention in the past as well. Um, Johnny Valiant I had on a, on a convention back in the day. Um, so th- there was a lot of guys that we, we mentioned off that I actually had the pleasure of, of having at my events back then. And uh, one of them that uh, we have coming up is the Doctor of Style Slick. We just announced our summer fall schedule. Slick's going to be one of our virtual signings. He's going to be on Monday, uh, September the 20th. And also J.J. Dillon we have coming up. I'm going to have him with uh, Barry Windham on uh, October the 11th. So we just added a ton of uh, virtual signings. We just announced the Honky Tonk Man last night. He's going to be making a rare appearance with us on Monday, September 27th. And the uh, you can believe today up on the website will uh, go on sale for Honky Tonk Man. But, yeah, Jay, I had a lot of these guys on my signings and, and conventions in the past, and it's awesome to look back on it now and said that I had the opportunity to have Captain Lou, uh, Jimmy Hart, Bobby Heenan, Shari, I had Shari in the past as well. So, You know, and, and the sad thing is, is a lot of these names that we're bringing up are no longer with us. So the fact that you got to, to meet a Bobby Heenan before his passing is, uh, is, is very cool, Tommy. And what's, what's uh, Mr. Heenan like when the cameras aren't rolling? What was he like? Oh, he was awesome, man. I, I think I might have made mention of this. I don't know if I made a mention of it on here, but I, made, I, I know I'm – told someone the story. It might not have been on here, but I'll tell you how cool Bobby Heenan was is when I booked him for my convention, he never even asked me what he was getting paid. He never even asked me what he was getting paid. Take that into consideration for a second. Obviously, I took care of him. I gave him a good payday, but he never even asked me, first time I ever booked him, what he was getting paid. That's nuts if you think about that. Well, that tells you right there that he loves and appreciates being around the fans, that he was excited just to come and do the event without doing it just for the money. That's very cool. Yeah, man. All right, Tommy. Well, like you said, you, you have Slick coming up, and we didn't really talk about him much. So before we uh, go to our final segment of the show, we should let people know 
that, yeah, you have Slick showing up. And it's kind of a rare thing. I don't think he does many appearances and many signings. And one of my favorite memories of Slick is obviously his affiliation uh, with the one-man gang's changeover to becoming the African dream, Akeem. And then when he teamed with the big boss man as the Twin Towers, Slick was there when the Twin Towers main event at the match against Hogan and then WWF champion Macho Man Randy Savage, the Mega Powers, in what I consider one of the greatest angles ever when Miss Elizabeth took that bump and Hogan took her to the back. So Slick was there. He played a part in that. Absolutely, man. He, he's, he's another one that's that larger-than-life colorful character. He was an LJN. He played a, a part in, in that whole era as well. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to having him. And, again, you can, for any of these upcoming signings, you can go to our website. It's 80swrestlingcon.com. You select the photo that you want. You can tune in live to our Facebook page on the date of the signing, and you can see the date on the signings on the uh, website. And watch them sign your photo for you live. They'll give you a shout-out, and then we're going to ship your photos out to you following the signing. We just had Ken Patera this past Monday. Uh, this coming Monday, we have Eric Rowan and Darren Young. And I'm just going to read off a, a name of a uh, list of upcoming appearances. June 7th, we have Rock and Roll Express. Uh, June 21st, we have the Head Shrinkers, Rakishi and Samu. Uh, real quick, also, Nikita Koloff is May 24th, by the way. Uh, we have uh, Val Venus coming up on June 28th. Tyrus will join us on July 5th. Dean Malenko on July 26th. The Godfather slash Papa Shango on August 2nd. Mark Camaro, August 16th. We're going to do a gimmick night on September the 13th. Check this out, Jay. The Brooklyn Brawler, Bushwhacker Luke, and Men on the Missions, Moe and Oscar. Yo, baby. They're going to join us on... Yobi, but that was PN News. <laughs> you know what I meant. They join us on September the 13th. The Doctor of Style Slick Jab Soul Bro joins us on the 20th of September. We just announced last night the Honky Tonk Man will join us on September 27th. We have Barry Windham and J.J. Dillon on October the 11th. And Virtual Spooktacular. It's going to be a scary one, Jay. On uh, Halloween week on Monday October 25th, the Boogeyman and Gangrel will uh, join us for a special Monday night virtual Halloween party. And then the big one, Jay, coming up on Sunday, August the 22nd, which I'm now hearing. This is cool. Listen to this, Jay. That's going to be SummerSlam Sunday. So uh, we're going to be doing something in the daytime on SummerSlam Sunday, Virtual Mania 2. And uh, it's going to be Virtual Mania 2 Attitude. It's going to be Mark Henry. Billy Gunn, D'Lo Brown, and the Headbangers. An all-day-long virtual signing, man. I can't even wrap my head around all those dates and all those names. Imagine having to remember the deals I made with all these guys and where to fly them in and when to fly them in. I'm getting ahead of myself here, man, but what can you do? you got to strike while the iron's hot, right? That's right, man, and what a lineup. What a treat for everybody I am looking forward to each and every one of those. The thing I think I'm looking forward to the most is you doing your Bushwhacker Luke impression for the man himself. I cannot wait to see how that goes. <laughs> Whoa, yay! <laughs> Do we have Luke on the phone now? Is that who that was? 
Yeah, that was that was me, man. But uh, well, there is some, there is someone here. There is someone here waiting to talk to you, though. That's a little upset. Well, I would tell you what I do, I think we must have accidentally got disconnected because I don't think he would hang up on me. I don't think the relationship has deteriorated to that point. Oh. So, it's, Tommy Sheik, are you there? Oh. Tommy Sheik, it's jumping Jay oh, from the podcast. Let's week. Fucking bullshit! You cut me off. I'm talking. You know answer. I talk. You know answer. I talk. You know answer. No, fucking bullshit! I think. I think what happened was we got disconnected, Tommy. I would never. Disconnected. Dis, well, the good news is we're connected now, and I can hear you loud and clear. So, uh, do you mind if I ask you a question, sir? No more question. Just one more question. No, no, no more questions. Okay, okay. Um, I, we were t- Tommy. No and I more questions. Tommy and I just got done talking about the greatest managers of all time. I was wondering if you had a thought on who your favorite manager was. No more questions. No, hey, not even question. one. He's leaving. He's gone. I don't understand every week. You ask him a question, he says no more questions before you even ask him the first question. I don't get it. I don't get it either. But the good news is he left. He left. He left. But he didn't. He didn't hang up this time. So we're making progress. Yeah, maybe next week you can finally get the first question out of him. <laughs> maybe. But uh, well, I'm, I'm glad at least he's talking to me again, Tommy. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the episode, man. What a fun time I had talking about the managers with you. I enjoyed that a lot. You know what? I, I, I like that I was able to finally talk to you. We've, we've had such a string of guests every week on the show. Uh, we didn't really have a chance to interact with, with each other. We were just going back and forth asking uh, our guests questions. But this is actually the first time we got to talk for a while, and I, I enjoyed it. I missed it. I as well, man. It was good to, good to have a, a lengthy conversation about something we're passionate about. You have a tremendous schedule coming up. I'm super excited. I'm guessing you're off to the wrestling collector right now. You got to put in a day's work. Right now, man. As soon as I uh, get off the, the the show, I'm I'm driving up and getting things ready for this weekend. That's wonderful. Well, enjoy enjoy it. Enjoy today. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. I'm jumping Jay. Tommy, you got anything else? No, man. Just uh, hope to see anyone local that lives in the New Jersey area. Hope to see you guys this weekend again uh, tomorrow, Friday. Eugene will be appearing tomorrow night from five to seven. Princess Victoria Saturday from 11 to 2, and Sunday Demolition will be there with Randy Hogan from 12 to 2. Uh, it's the Wrestling Collector 2772, State Route 23 in Stockholm, New Jersey. And then we'll see you this coming Monday for Monday Night Virtual with Darren Young and Eric Rowan, both formerly of the WWE. Until then, I hope everyone has a great weekend. Jay, I hope you have a great weekend, and we'll catch you here next week right here on 80s Wrestling, the podcast.